Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Bonjour! And today we're joined by our friend, Greg. Hello, everyone. Today we're talking about Hamilton the Musical and American History, so spoiler alert for Hamilton the Musical? Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. Greg, thank you for coming back. Uh, we had you on our very serious Schindler's List episode. Yeah, this uh, this should be a fun one. Yeah, we're excited that the audience will get to see uh, the lighter side of Greg. <laughs> it does exist, I promise. <laughs> um, so do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So if you did not tune in to the previous one, my name is Greg. I live here in D.C., And I have a big interest in history and American history. Um, I have a political science and international studies dual degree, and and then I followed that up with a master's in international studies. So definitely current events, world events is a major interest of mine. Um, Consider myself a history nerd. Also got to throw in that I'm a former Segway tour guide here in D.C., so I love historical fun facts. Yeah, if you can write a Segway and tell history facts, like, you're ready for this podcast. Yeah, we brought in a ringer. For all you know, I might be on a Segway right now. (laughs) Um, I will point out as well that Greg is not in the room, so if you notice a distinct quality difference when Greg speaks, it's because he's not in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am in my basement in D.C. I'm surrounded by several boxes with children's toys and things because I am an expectant father this summer. Another fun part of my life. Uh, Definitely gave me a newfound perspective on listening to songs like Dear Theodosia and Blow Us All Away. So that was fun to re-listen to this year. Are you going to sing that when your child is born? Yes, that will be the first song. (laughs) Probably not. Um, yeah, so, uh, do you have, uh, like a story of anything that happened to you the past week or two that could, uh, get us started? Um, so, I listened to the musical again for probably the thousandth time, but it had been a couple months, I have to admit. I decided to listen to the soundtrack while running. Would not recommend this. It is very difficult because I wanted to start singing with every song, and that's pretty (laughs) difficult to do while you're also pacing your breathing for an exercise. So, word from the wise, do not listen to while running. Right. Uh, What about while swimming or biking or cartwheeling? Are those okay? I also, also experimented while bike riding. I found this much more enjoyable. You're not panting as heavily while riding a bicycle. Um... So that that would be advised. What if you're like uh, like driving? Like what is? Oh, that's ideal. I if you have a three hour or two and a half hour car ride, this is the exact type of content that will fill your soul with joy for the duration of that drive. At the height of uh, Hamilton's popularity, I helped Alex uh, move or move something out of his mom's house, and so we drove to New Jersey and listen to the soundtrack, and then on the drive back, we listen to it again. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's that kind of musical where you just cannot get enough, and every time you listen to it, you find some new Easter egg or nugget that you did not notice before. Right. Uh, I will say that in terms of how much I've consumed Hamilton, I've listened to the soundtrack an endless amount of times. I've watched the musical online 
a few times. I have not gone in person, um, but Greg, I know you watched the DC version, right? Yeah, when the theater visited DC last summer, I had the honor of watching, and it, it was phenomenal. I mean, it really, I mean, it brought me to tears by the end. Yeah, so um, I'll say I came to Hamilton relatively late. All my friends in the college theater were already like singing along to it and remember the words and I was like oh yeah maybe I'll check this out and then like at the end of the semester I finally listened to the soundtrack and I was like all the wasted months um so I've listened to the soundtrack I don't even know how many times um and then I've watched it online once and what else is unique about Hamilton is there's so many different ways to enjoy the content whether you're listening to the musical or you're, you know, at a theater watching it in person, um, he's released, he being the creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, has released uh, the mixtape with additional, uh, you know, takes on the songs within the musical. He released monthly Hamill drops uh, that were other uh, takes on the song, similar style as the mixtape. So there are so many different ways that you can enjoy this content, and he did a great job at constantly releasing new content to keep our fans engaged right and there are even so like the musical itself was based off of a book uh alexander hamilton um and then he released his own book called hamilton the revolution which was more about the making of the musical and it had all of the song lyrics as well as like um notes on the side explaining like his favorite lines or how he came up with this line and renditions Absolutely. And the, the books are a great addition to the Hamilton universe. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, I did follow up the musical and, and read Ron Chernow's biography of Hamilton. It is a definitive biography that is over 700 pages long. And truth be told, it, it was a page turner. And after listening to the musical and having a good starting point of what happened in his life. I mean, I was really, really exhilarated uh, at reliving his life through the pages of Ron Chernow's biography. Yeah. Um, I think based on this excitement, all around, can we say that as an audience, we are going to rate Hamilton the musical five stars? I think so. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so let's jump to the uh, critiques rating, because I will have to take away just a single star. It's still lovable, still amazing. Um, purely for the content being um, not controversial, um, but there is a sense of he used a lot of artistic liberties to tell a more meaningful story, which I'm always a big fan of. But I find that there's also a danger to people believing the story of Hamilton through the musical's eyes and not conducting more research beyond that. Um, yeah, I'll agree. I'm going to drop it down to four. Similar for reasons that you said, Alex, um, the idea of like people taking this musical at face value as like a history lesson. And there are historical like fun facts and things to learn about it. But if you're interested in history, it shouldn't end it. Hamilton the musical you should definitely read the book um Alexander Hamilton that Greg mentioned uh, along with other sources and I have another critique but I'm gonna save that for later because it's kind of a nitpick wowzers yeah <laughs> cannot wait edge of my seat <laughs> meanwhile I, I'm total fanboy here I'm gonna give it all five stars uh and for that similar 
you know, in response to Alex and Joe's critiques here, I think all of the risks he took and the changes he made were very strategic and kept the musical very engaging and welcoming to people who are not familiar with the history. I have so many friends who had no interest in the American Revolution, our founding fathers, American history in general, and this opened doors for them to learn more about that time period. And I think that has been transformational in being able to bring this pretty dry topic. I mean, nobody, I, I, even I would never read the 700-page biography if it were not for Lin-Manuel Miranda. And mm -hmm. he made it welcoming enough for me where I could uh, find the joy in this biography. I completely agree. I think if we use Hamilton as a starting point to sort of prompt curiosity and explore more of what's out there, it did its job. Um, but in terms of a certain type of fan that listens to the musical and then stops there, I think there's a danger. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And just to kind of combine all of our points, um, something that I didn't really consider is because your research shouldn't end at Hamilton, that doesn't mean that there aren't people that aren't continuing after Hamilton, like you said, Greg. Um, so that's something that for some reason I was just like, no, obviously everyone just listened to the soundtrack and then was like, I know everything there is to know about the American <laughs> Revolution. Right, no. Yeah, but I, I find there's a lot more to praise about the musical than criticize. I sort of started with the criticism at the beginning because that's the only thing. Mm -hmm. Like, and now I really sure. want to get into, like, the praising. Like, in terms of storytelling and in terms of its effect on Broadway... The way that they flipped the script and and had like a, a flipped casting of hiring non-white people portray white characters really did something for Broadway. It shook things up. It made people talk about it. And sure, there was it was like a controversy of who would do this and how dare you. Oh, what's the opposite of whitewash? Color wash. <laughs> color wash. Uh, okay, how dare you color wash our history? I find it amusing to say the least but also inspirational um to see broadway go in this direction mm -hmm. yeah it's cool to see a black george washington or uh, a hispanic alexander hamilton it's just a, a really inspirational thing i was going to try to use a different word than alex but i really couldn't think of a better one <laughs> and yet we can't dismiss that there have been criticisms of the casting uh I, i've had friends challenge me on on this, asking how could you list the casting as it needs to be all people of color, and yet you just don't think of as as a you know a white person in America that so many roles on Broadway. The assumption is that the lead role is a white person. They don't need to list that in the casting because it's almost assumed that most leads will be white, and so being able to flip that script and increase the normalcy of that was revolutionary. Yeah, I completely understand that, I guess, mentality of reverse racism. Like, if white people aren't allowed to say blacks need not apply, then why can colored people say whites need not apply? Um, right. And I do think that is a broader conversation about what is the norm in our society and, like, why is there a black entertainment television network and not a white entertainment television network? And it's like, well, you, you literally have the rest yeah. of the channels. <laughs> you literally have the rest of Broadway. 
Like, I, right. I get feeling attacked, and I understand that experience of, well, I never owned slaves. Why am I being mm-hmm. reprimanded for this? And, like, that's right. that's not what we're doing. <laughs> and it is, it is interesting, because you, you, I would love to star in Hamilton the Musical, and yet I will never really have that opportunity, because it's intended to be led and acted by people of color which i think is a great thing yeah um i will say i have no reference to know if this is actually happening but i assume it will um i don't know if you guys were theater kids in high school but theater kids tend to take the popular musical um when i was in high school it was les mis the whole time um and everyone would be (laughs) like yeah, uh, I wish we could do Les Mis here, but uh, we don't really have the casting. Uh, obviously, I would be Jean Valjean, but I don't know who would play other people. Obviously. And I th- I'm wondering if there's a, a problematic aspect of uh, white teenagers being like, yeah, obviously I'd be Alexander Hamilton or I'd be George Washington and not understanding like the cultural importance of like, well, like the it's kind of important that it's a, a, a color-washed version of history. Like, that's kind of the point of the musical. Right. We, we can't forget that I, I could potentially act as King George. We do have one white role in the show. Nice. Which is why it's five stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Uh, I mean, we're all saying the same thing. This idea of once Hamilton starts getting performed outside of Broadway what's going to happen to the casting. Mm -hmm. Like, if a high school in Ohio wants to do Hamilton, what are they going to do about it? That'd be like um, trying to perform Hairspray and and trying to perform that without any colored people. Like, it's going to miss the point, even if the plot itself isn't about the uh, racial tensions. Mm Um, I do want to make a point going back to what Greg was saying with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's, I guess, artistic liberties. Mm -hmm. What he did is very phenomenal in that he made it personal to the audience, uh, assuming like audience being, I guess, uh, white people who go to Broadway. (laughs) Uh, He sort of created this historical fiction that was palatable for a white audience, but incorporating hip hop and rap. And it's similar to how Rent started using rock for Broadway. And people were like, oh, that's <laughs> rock doesn't belong on Broadway. Uh, now we're having this conversation of hip hop and rap and does it belong on Broadway? And because this was such a huge success, um, as well as In the Heights, which was Lin-Manuel's mm-hmm. first Broadway show, like you keep seeing these successes and you got to stop saying things like, does this belong here? Well, we've already proven it can clearly be here. Mm -hmm. And now we have Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. Is that even country music? (laughs) Is it country music? Because I don't know enough about country to like really give an opinion about it, but I'm going to say yes, even though I don't have a basis for it. Speaking of which, he also just put out another like kind of country rap song called Rodeo, and Cardi B has a phenomenal verse on it, and I recommend you guys pause this and listen to it right now. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is totally a connection here between what you're ma- what you're speaking about of how the music in Hamilton is was rejected initially by uh, classic Broadway theater goers as 
it's hip hop. It, you know, it's not typical music that you hear to, you know, the music you're hearing now from Lil Nas X with Old Town Road, how the bill, the country billboards rejected that and, and still don't allow it to be played on country music stations. But I think it's a great trend in music and theater that you're seeing a integration of these different genres and showing that you can cross these borders and these barriers uh, from what you stereotypically think you understand of as country music or as um, as theater. And for some, that might be a negative. I know people who have little interest to listening to the soundtrack or wanting to go to see Hamilton because they're not really into hip hop and it has that label as being a hip hop musical. And so in some ways that might turn people off. Yeah, I think uh, no matter what, as soon as you start introducing these ideas, you become controversial. No matter what, you're going to be pushing a certain group away. If you want to start including a new audience, you will lose a little bit of your old audience. And that's okay. I think it's we, time we start pushing towards inclusivity on Broadway. Uh, one controversy that I see is uh, the price of seeing Hamilton and how many minorities can't actually go to see it. Yeah, right. and I don't know if Lin-Manuel had any influence over the ticket pricing. I assume he probably didn't. But I think it's crazy that a tic- like the lowest price ticket to Hamilton was like a thousand bucks. And no one did anything about it. Everyone was just kind of like, ah, shucks, like, I wish that wasn't the case. But what are you going to do? Ticket prices are ticket prices. And of course, they did have the ham for ham opportunities where through a lottery, you could win $10 tickets. But of course, the, the number of people that are winning that is so inaccessible. And for the, you know, general layman who's trying to purchase tickets uh, it's pretty inaccessible based on price yeah but like what are you gonna do right guys (laughs) or i mean at the same time the market determines the value of the musical and it obviously became a phenomenon for a reason and so i mean you, you don't want a artificial deterrence of the price of the ticket in some ways because they did they did earn this like it is it's it's a masterpiece yeah uh well I guess I don't know this, but who does the money go to? Yeah, I, that's a great question, Alex. I'm not familiar with, you know, how much money the producers get versus the theater gets versus the actual actors themselves. Um, and I'm sure, you know, the original writers, Lin-Manuel Miranda and his team gets a hefty penny as well. But uh, that's a great question to ask. Yeah, I actually, this point brings up an article I read It was a critique on Always Be My Maybe, Mm -hmm. um, which was praised for being a diverse cast, a very uh, uh, Asian-populated cast. And the biggest critique was the contrast between the progress of the casting, but the, uh, the subplot of the woman being a chef and sort of selling out, quote unquote, and not selling... Uh, authentic cuisine, which is something that chefs are often held back by. So when you hear about like Mexican cuisine and Asian cuisine and other ethnic foods, a lot of people don't consider it authentic unless it's cheap. And so it's sort of restricting a huge population of chefs who want to make as much money as, I guess, quote-unquote, white chefs. But if they want to advertise as authentic food, they're forced to lower their prices. 
Interesting. And so I guess those are just more barriers that we're going to have to work towards breaking. Um, I want to get us back towards talking about the musical a little bit. Um, yeah, we went. We had a, quite a tangent there. <laughs> quite a tangent, which I think is important. I'm not saying that was bad, but uh, I think it would be fun if we went around and shared our favorite song from the musical, maybe our favorite characters. Ooh, yes, please. Um, I'm willing to start. My favorite is Aaron Burser. Uh, it has a special place in my heart because for me, it was the easiest to memorize. Uh, mixed with like a v- pretty fun song, um, and all I ever wanted since listening to the musical was to be able to participate in it, be able to sing along with it. So Aaron Burser was the first song where I was like, okay, this is the song I'm gonna learn so that I can sing along to it, and then the rest will come to me naturally. There are so nice. many good lines in Aaron Burser. You punch the burser. You think I'm stupid, but I'm not stupid. How'd you do it? How'd you graduate so fast? It was my parents' dying wish before. Like, there's his excitement of being an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> You're an orphan? <laughs> of course! Uh, sorry, I'm excited. And that song's great because it really introduces, like, the two main characters, Aaron Burr and Hamilton. Like, it shows you their personality right. very well. And very early on. It's the mm-hmm. second song of the musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the first actual time we meet Hamilton since he is not in the first opening song. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, he's in it, but he doesn't say much, except he, That's right. he introduces himself. Yeah. <laughs> and then he does the same in Aaron Burr's. <laughs> so who would be your favorite character then, Alex? Um, my favorite character is definitely Aaron Burr himself. Um, okay. He's not my favorite part of Aaron Burr's Sir, the song, but his conflict and his storytelling as narrator, um, especially in the song The World Was Wide Enough, like really affects me in the sense of uh, the line that really jumps out to me is, now I'm the villain in your history. And I'm like, oh my god, he is! But like this song makes me think that maybe he was multidimensional. <laughs> and Leslie Odom Jr. has such a beautiful voice. And oh, like that line, like I'll listen to that song just for that line. Like I sure. think it's so good. It's it's like a drenched in like a sadness mm-hmm. that, oh. And it, he follows a, a fun trend in media now where you're almost rooting for the a, a bad protagonist, right? Similar mm-hmm. to a Frank Underwood or Breaking Bad. I don't... Blanking on his name. Heisenberg. <laughs> Walter White. Um, Walter White. Uh, you're goddamn where, where, right. <laughs> where these villains, you know that they're destructive and they're going to ruin their lives. And yet you, at the same time, are rooting for them in a way. Um, who's, who's next? <laughs> my favorite song is Guns and Ships. Um, so that's about uh, Marquis de Lafayette, who was one of Hamilton's friends during the Revolutionary War. Um, he was from France, and they tell how he would go to France and like come back with guns and ships. Um, and he helped. He was a big part of helping win the war. Um, but what I love about it is. It's like a really like high intensity fun rap song, and Davi Diggs, the actor, um, set uh, like some sort of I don't know if it was like a Guinness record or but he set a record for the most words sung in the shortest amount of time in a Broadway song because he says like eighteen words in two seconds or something like that. I should look up the actual statistic. 
Yeah, while you do that, um, I do think that David Diggs brings out like a whole new side of Broadway. Like he's said like multiple times, like I never saw myself as a Broadway star until this musical existed. And like a one fun aspect about the first half of the musical is that he speaks in a very thick uh, French accent and he sort of learns better English throughout the course of the first half to sort of demonstrate his prowess um, and his raps get faster as well. Uh, before we move on, I was so close. It's 19 words in three seconds. So I was wow. one off on both. <laughs> um, That's impressive. Thank you. Um, I know you meant me being right and not him saying 19 words in three seconds. <laughs> That's um, exactly right. <laughs> um, but yeah, and once... I was able to, like, keep up with him once I learned the words. That's so much fun to sing along with. All the songs are, but, like, you feel really cool if you can keep up with that song. Um, it's a good party trick. Yeah. And, Alex, for reasons you were saying, um, Davi Diggs, both his characters, are kind of tied for my favorite. But I think I'm going to say Thomas Jefferson because he's a really funny and, like, sassy antagonist. And it's he just adds, like, a really... Um, fun element to the second act. Yeah, and for those listeners out there that aren't as familiar with Hamilton, there are several actors who play two different roles between the first half and the second half. So uh, David Diggs is one of those actors who plays Lafayette in the first half and then switches over to Jefferson in the second half where Lafayette is absent. Mm-hmm. And... Um... Sorry, Greg, before we get to your picks, um, I want to point out another fun Easter egg from the musical. In the opening number, Alexander Hamilton, there are characters um, who say things about their relationship to Hamilton, and it works for both their characters in both acts. So, for example, David Diggs, who plays Lafayette, who fought with him in the Revolutionary War, and then Thomas Jefferson, who fights with him on policies in the second act. In the beginning, he goes, we fought with him. So it works for both of his characters, even though in that song, he's technically Lafayette. I never noticed that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it applies to all of them. Like um, uh, when the the Skylar sisters say me, I loved him. That applies to all the Skylar sisters, as well as Mariah Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Is that her name? Mm -hmm. Yes, who also is... Peggy in the first act. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wow. so I, I forget his name, but, uh, me, I died for him is Philip Hamilton, his son, mm-hmm. as well as John Lawrence, his friend. That's right. Mm-hmm. Both his of very, them. very close friend. If you don't mind me jumping in, my favorite song is your obedient servant. And I love this because there had been so much rising tension throughout the second half between Hamilton and Burr, and there is such a fun dichotomy of them lashing insults to each other in letter form, and yet signing each letter by your obedient server servant, A.Ham, with the you know sincerity of that kind of signature. Um, I also think the, the song is a fun bookend to the first time they interact with Aaron Burr, Sir, when they're first introduced. Uh, if you just listen to those two songs back to back, the, the difference of their innocence and friendliness and playfulness in the first song compared to the end is is pretty stark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I am also a big fan of just just a few little lines in that song of here's an itemized list of 30 years of disagreement. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> um, and I heard that Lin-Manuel Miranda tried to keep that song like true in terms of using a lot of lines from the letters he was referencing. Right. But this was when he was off Broadway he recognized that he was losing the audience a little bit when he, when he was being historically mm-hmm. accurate and mm-hmm. sort of changed it up to be more, I guess, like perky and snidey when he moved to Broadway. And the, again, this goes to his keen eye of making sure that the story is palatable, even if it means sacrificing a little bit of historical accuracy to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's another reason why I love this song is that He's sticking to the history that they did exchange these letters prior to the duel. And sure, you know, the exact wording in the letters and the song is are not exactly the same. But the fact that he maintained that piece of historical accuracy is quite impressive. He doesn't have these two actors standing in a room, you know, sharing barbs with one another. He still has them literally sending letters with insults to one another. Yeah, that's also a really cool um, performance in terms of having the one person carry the letter and, like, walk over to mm-hmm. um, Aaron Burr and put it in his hand. Right. Um, but overall, like, the musical demonstrates how Lin-Manuel Miranda, like, he conducted deep research. He had to, like, create, like, a an understanding of this complex story and complex evidence on, like, who shot first and, like, other historical pieces that technically were never really answered. And he had to make decisions about that and, like, understand what was going on in order to tell his story. And it's very impressive overall. Mm-hmm. And he even hired Ron Chernow as a historical consultant in the writing of the musical. And each time he deviated from history, he had to have some sort of artistic explanation as to why it's important to do that. So he, he paid a, a close attention to maintaining the accuracy, which uh, I think he did a great job of in Your Obedient Servant. And just to wrap up, favorite characters... Uh, It's cliche, I know, but Hamilton is my favorite. Um, He is a very dynamic character. He has a great character arc from the first half where he's just trying to be someone and rise up and not wasting his shot to become an influential person in American history. You're on a roll here. To the second half where... He shows his human flaws, and he messes up several times, politically, personally, uh, until his final error in, you know, having too much pride to walk away from the duel. So there's just so many layers to this person, and uh, you learn a lot about him throughout the course of the musical. So I think this is a good point to take a break, and when we get back, we're going to focus more on history and societal critiques of Hamilton. Hey, Alex. Hey, what? If I were to ask you for your email address, what would it take to get it? Um, really just asking me is plenty. But if you are offering something, maybe, I don't know, exclusive content? Or maybe, I don't know, like a $20 gift card to Fandango? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm listening. If you sign up for Two Bald Men and Friends email list, you'll get exclusive content and 
and the opportunity to win a $20 gift card to Fandango. Oh, w- w- what? What are the odds that my two specific uh, examples were what's being offered? It's almost as if we planned it. No, we're two improvisers. That would never happen. Anyway, listeners, if you sign up for our mailing list, you'll not only get exclusive content, but you'll also get updates on where we're heading with the podcast. Like, I don't know, a website? Ooh. Articles? Ooh. Nudes? Ooh. Two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) So send us your email address on Instagram DM, Twitter DM, or Facebook Messenger, and you'll be added to the list. Boy, oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to go out and purchase those goods or services. Yum, yum. Um, so I've been keeping it in this whole time, but I'm ready to share my critique of Hamilton. <gasps> the moment we've been waiting yeah. for. Um, I am not a music scholar, and far be it from me to say anyone is not a talented singer. But I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is not necessarily a bad singer, but he's definitely the worst singer in the cast. And he's he's good at rapping, but I don't think his voice has the same quality as George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or any of the Schuyler sisters. Um, and he is the lead role, and so he has a lot of songs, and they don't sound bad. But after hearing George Washington sing this beautiful song about friendship and peace, and then hearing Hamilton sing, it's just a weird juxtaposition. Um, and so that's why I said it was a nitpick. <laughs> Are you suggesting that Lin-Manuel Miranda had too much pride to assign the lead role to another actor? <laughs> I, I am saying that. Wow. Come at me, Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> Don't, Lin, no, we're fans, please. His opinion is mine. <laughs> we do love Lin-Manuel Miranda for everything he did for this musical. Um, I, I would tend to agree. I saw the musical without the original cast here in D.C., and my favorite improvement of seeing it live was the voice of the actor who sang Hamilton. You guys are uh, hurting me so much right now. I mean, he just isn't great. Um, okay, so I'm ready to defend you, Lynn. Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to defend Lynn in the context of if I'm going to write a musical for Broadway so that I can star in it, that's fine. <laughs> He earned it, you think? Yeah, I feel like he earned it. But also, and and, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that you guys don't think that either. Um, (laughs) But also, I feel like in the context of he shouldn't have cast himself if he wanted, like, the best version of Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton's character fit his voice of, like, being... Uh, sort of a, a diamond in the rough type of thing where like it's unpolished and sort of he tries his best and even though he's not necessarily the most qualified he's the loudest and pushes his agenda along despite people telling him not to alex that is so meta and nuanced <laughs> and i love it and i'm convinced you're absolutely right <laughs> i definitely think i'm doing some heavy lifting for yeah. other people but uh i'm I mean, willing to stick to my guns here <laughs> He did such a great job in making the song choices and the type of language that each character uses. And the fact that, I think you nailed it right on the head, that Hamilton's character is not supposed to be super polished. He's very raw, 
uh, unprofessional at times, and I, I think he suited the role actually perfectly. Now that you mention it, I would just say I can't oh, believe I convinced one of you. <laughs> I, I would just like Dime. to say Aladdin is the diamond in the rough and a street rat, and his singing voice is fine. So I don't, <laughs> I'm not buying it. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> um, a quick point in the Bachelorette, um, the one of the characters referred to themselves as a diamond in the rough um, and called himself really shiny. And we were like, no, you're you're misunderstanding. <laughs> it's wrong. You don't you don't you're missing what that thing means. <laughs> I appreciate the Bachelorette reference in our Hamilton podcast, though. Yeah, I think uh, we're hitting multiple audiences. Here. Yeah, we're yeah. really really reeling them in. Um, Great. So in in terms of a critique of Hamilton, which I do want to get into, I guess like societal critiques, but as well as personal critiques, I think there is a danger, a few dangers of this idea of Alexander Hamilton wrote his way out and it sort of portraying and pushing the agenda of the bootstrap theory and like the bootstrap mm-hmm. story of if you just work hard enough, you can get out of any negative situation you're in. And I think there's a danger to people hearing that story and saying, see, it's your fault if you're poor. See, it's your fault if you um, don't succeed. Can I share a, a fun fact about the, the bootstrap theory? Sure. So the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, is what you're saying, Alex, is like, yeah, you know, you just have to work hard and eventually you'll get out. So the widely um, accepted beginning of that phrase comes from a book called The Surprising Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And there's a scene in the book where Baron, the main character, like, gets stuck in a swamp and grabs his own hair and, like, pulls himself out (laughs) of the swamp. And then somewhere along the lines it became bootstraps. Um, So the phrase means to do something so cartoonishly ridiculous that probably only Bugs Bunny could do it. Yeah, definitely seems problematic. Um, To Alex's point, Hamilton is an interesting social story of our founding fathers that both progressives and conservatives both love which is partially what made it such a phenomenon mm-hmm. because you know progressives love the multicultural cast and inclusivity the, the inclusivity and then conservatives they love this story of an immigrant coming over and just working so hard that he became became successful on his own accord without any social safety nets. Yeah, and it just finds um, it's almost to a point like glorifying founding fathers and um, ignoring the fact that that a certain group of people, including Alexander Hamilton, started this sort of capitalist phenomenon that now we're hitting a peak of and are starting to recognize that it's it's not going to work mm-hmm. <laughs> long right. term. And the fact that Hamilton, real life Hamilton, was very conscious of the fact that he was an immigrant, that he was a bastard orphan, that he came from a low social stratification and he didn't really try to transform what life could be for immigrants instead he became part of the elite social class and escalated even further so that that is an interesting critique of his life that is portrayed in the musical as well but i'll i'll just to say that hamilton the real life person is imperfect and he had strengths and he had flaws and this is likely one of them Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a matter of, again, going back to after you hear the musical and you get inspired to conduct your own research, 
excellent. Be sure to acknowledge like the flaws that existed, the stories that weren't told in the musical. But don't just listen to the musical and stop there and mm-hmm. be like, all right, that's as accurate as it's ever going to get. <laughs> right. In fact, there's like um, there's a new book that recently came out. It's a collection of 15 essays. It's called Historians on Hamilton. How a Blockbuster Musical is Restaging America's Past. And it's a combination of historians who liked versus didn't like the musical in terms of its historical inaccuracies or artistic um, choices and whether or not overall it's a good or bad thing for society. Wow. And what did you find? Um, I found that, well, they they taught me a lot in in terms of... um, Just the idea of the biography, Alexander Hamilton, as well as the musical Hamilton, it's a a genre called Founder's Cheek, uh, which has been becoming exceptionally popular in the 90s and 2000s, specifically because politics are in flux and how uh, different parties are sort of like flipping their agendas and sort of becoming extremists in in certain ways and it's getting to the point where a lot of people think that they need to be looking back at founding fathers to answer the question what is this country about and that way they can try to resolve the issues occurring in today's politics and that's what's like increasing this popularity of historical accuracy and like historical biographies right And it's complicated. It -hmm. is very complicated. What I think is fascinating for me when I look back at this, you know, era in time is the level of discord and animosity amongst the political players. And so, you know, so often now people are like, I wish we could go back to the great leadership we had of our founding fathers or Abraham Lincoln around the Civil War. And in a way, it's comforting to see that it has always been this crazy in our political world, you know, to the point where you have political rivals literally dueling and shooting guns at one another because they can't determine their disagreements otherwise. Yeah, it's sort of that uh, the nostalgia effect of forgetting all of the controversy that actually occurred in certain parts of history and sort of vanillaing over the fact that it was probably as bad as it is now. They just may not have had social media to sort of pin each other against each other so aggressively and so quickly. I think we've talked about this on another episode, but um, the idea where someone's like, music nowadays is terrible. Music back when I was a kid or music from this decade is the best. And it's just, no, they had good songs and bad songs then too. You're just remembering the greatest hits. And so I think the same thing could be said of history and historical figures. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, But with that said, with the portrayal of the Founding Fathers as these, you know, disagreeing, arguing, dueling leaders, um, do, do you still think that it's a bad thing to have a strong focus on these Founding Fathers as these, you know, almost worship level characters in our folklore? Um, I personally think that the way, again, like Hamilton is being portrayed as well as the other founding fathers, it's important to address the flaws, but I don't think it's necessary for a musical to do that. Um, I don't think it's the job of the art 
to lay out all of the layers. Like, that can only be answered within, like, essays upon essays. Like, one form of media can't do all of that. So, really, their only goal, which they were successful at, was to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. But why have a musical about a white founding father instead of other other people in our in our American history that have played roles that might be people of color that have an impact on our society. Right. And that's a I think that's the one of the major controversies in terms of affecting both extremes. Mm-hmm. The the like conservatives being like, "Hey, they're not being cast as white." And then the uh, liberals saying like, "Well, why are they still telling a white story if they're supposed to be people of color?" Um I find that I think we've talked about this before. It's like it's making the story more palatable. Um, It's giving a different audience the opportunity to rediscover certain parts of history that otherwise would have been ignored. I think if it was a story about an actual person of color doing actual uh, like historically accurate things during the revolution or during the creation of the government, fewer people would have listened to it. I think while Lin-Manuel Miranda um, succeeded in the the goal, I'm sure he had the goal of starting this um, you know conversation about history, I think he just wanted to write a musical specifically about Alexander Hamilton because I think he saw a lot of himself in Alexander Hamilton. They're both immigrants who moved to New York. They were writers. Um, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda fancies himself pretty intelligent, which he clearly is, Um, but so does (laughs) Alexander Hamilton. So I, I think he wasn't like, let me pick someone in history to write about. I think he specifically only wanted to write about Hamilton. Which isn't a bad thing. No, and you're absolutely right. Um, the, I, I believe the story is that he was reading Ron Chernow's biography, and this is amazing to me, but he, you know, a couple hundred pages in, he got the idea of um, these clashing political titans, me like, huh, this would be fun to write a musical about. Yeah. Or like, or like a, specifically a mixtape or like a rap battle, and it slowly grew into a musical. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is certainly a, an ivory tower critique yeah. of why don't why don't we have more musicals and stories and media about people of color in our history, which I think has been become a trend that is increasing today in 2019, but we're still far from where it could be. Right. And I think um, sort of unloading that responsibility onto the first stepping stone can be really dangerous. Um, way back when Love, Simon came out, it was just like a, a rite of passage sort of romantic comedy-esque with um, a, a gay high school student trying to find love. And it got a lot of critique because it wasn't hitting home hard enough the struggles of being gay in the society or the or different aspects right. of like being in high school and having that extra layer of hidden identity and then other people came out and were saying like but that's not what this movie was trying to be it just wanted to be a movie that could be accessed Mm -hmm. and it happened to tell a story about a a gay high school student it's kind of like what um mike burge from story screens presents told us on our end game episode it's like when someone says i want a candy bar and someone's like okay well here's potato chips and they're like 
Well, that's not a candy bar. Yeah, but it's still pretty. It's still potato chips. And like getting mad that you don't have the candy bar, but the potato chips are still really good. Right. I. I. And I just believe that like in terms of progress, steps are important. Yeah. If you try to jump to the end goal, then it's going to be a, a a much bigger struggle to get there. Yeah. Sure. And I. I don't think anyone should hold. Lin-Manuel Miranda to the same pedestal as a literal historian who is <laughs> writing about Hamilton's life because at the end of the day this is historical fiction it, it is fiction and it is very close to the real thing and gets the essence of the historical events but it, it's not reality right and uh and I think we could get into maybe like top three historical inaccuracies just uh for anyone who hasn't conducted their own research like uh let's open that door for you and then and then you can keep researching yourself sure so it, there are a couple fun historical inaccuracies uh throughout the musical probably one of the bigger ones is that Hamilton and Burr did not meet early on until after the war so unfortunately, Alex's favorite song is entirely fictionalized. <laughs> Gasp, which is which is even more true because uh, when they're I guess at the bar and all three of his friends, um, John Lawrence, Lafayette, and Hercules Mulligan, uh, were there. Like they didn't know each other either. They were all friends with right. Alexander Hamilton, independent of each other. It's mm-hmm. not like all four of them were friends together. So. In reality, he would Burr would not make an appearance until the entire second act, but for the purpose of this musical, it's, it's fun to have that connection early on, that they were good buddies and, and pals from the old, old time before the war, which makes their clash at the end even more dramatic. Um, another fun one is that when Hamilton is confronted about his relationship with Mariah Reynolds, uh, the musical portrays... Jefferson, Madison, and Burr literally walking up to him in a room and being like, we have all this evidence on you. We know what you did. And it it was never those three people. Um, I mean, Jefferson at the time was the vice president. And of course, you know, people ranking that high in politics would not be the ones doing that. They sent some lower level folks, somebody by the name of Abraham Venable, Frederick Muhlenberg, and the eventual president, James Monroe, those are the actual three people that made the confrontation with Hamilton. But, of, of course, there was no reason for Lin-Manuel Miranda to introduce three brand new characters this late in the musical for a pretty small role in the story. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the duel itself is portrayed to be to take place immediately after the election of 1800 when Hamilton helped sway the vote towards Jefferson um, but in reality, this, this duel didn't take place until four years later, after Burr lost his election bid to be governor of New York, in which Hamilton also played a role in swaying voter, voters away from him. But again, adding another election to the story, waiting another four years, it just did not make sense for the purpose of the, the story that Lin-Manuel Miranda was telling. Yeah, I also heard that Philip Hamilton didn't die until 1801, as in after the election of 1800. And so just in terms of the timeline of how things happened, it, uh, you do the math, you know? <laughs> right. And, and at the end of the day, like, do these dates really matter when you're watching a fictionalized portrayal of the story in a musical, right? He, he gets the essence of what happened pretty well. 
Yeah, um, there was, I think, an interview with the writer of the biography, whose name I forgot already. Um, Rob Chernow. Yeah, where he was like, well, actually, you know, Hamilton had six sons. And Lynn was like, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to make six characters. Like, we only care about Philip. Why would I introduce five other sons? I do have a fun fact about Philip in that Philip, of course, was his first son, which was killed in duel. His last son, which was like six kids later, he also named Philip, which I think is kind of weird and a lot of pressure to put on your last son. <laughs> was Philip already uh, killed in the duel? It was after his death. Oh, okay. It was post-death. They renamed his son Phil. So you're named after your oldest brother as well as your grandpa. <laughs> You better succeed, man. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, my broader point here is, you know, you can nitpick a lot of these minute details throughout the course of the musical. There are errors. There are many errors, to quote George Washington. (laughs) But, you know, there are some bigger picture historical critiques that he got wrong, too. And I think the most glaring one within this musical is the absence of slavery throughout the entire show. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, they definitely, within the songs, address this idea of uh, Hamilton being, like, a super abolitionist, and, like, they write about trying to free the slaves, but they don't address the slaves ever within the song, and nor is it necessarily historically accurate that Hamilton was a super abolitionist. Mm -hmm. He did write about, like, oh, maybe we should uh, get rid of slavery. Mm -hmm. Right, and, of course, Hamilton being you know, relatively poor early early in his life. He was not a landowner. He did not own, you know, dozens and dozens of slaves. It makes it a little easier and more convenient for him to be an abolitionist, even for even if it's for political purposes. Um, on the Hamilton mixtape, Lin-Manuel raps um, the whole song himself, but he wrote a third cabinet, cabinet battle, cabinet battle yeah, which is about... Um, arguing whether or not to end the slave trade, but it was ultimately cut from the musical. Um, Right. He said specifically, like, it opens up the doors to uh, the issue of slavery, which is such a bigger can of worms that he could mm -hmm. wrap up within the context of one musical that he decided he shouldn't try to address it and then never wrap it up. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Uh, And and to further that point, the, the resolution within that rap ends with them agreeing yeah let's not do anything about it we'll we'll worry about the next generation can deal with that issue which isn't really a satisfying outcome to include in this musical that is really focused on the heroics of our founding fathers right yeah but important to include in like the hamilton mixtape because it is a fact about our history that we kept pushing that issue aside because it was inconvenient to talk about mm-hmm. right i think another I guess glaring inaccuracy would uh, come from the Schuyler sisters and how written in the musical they were strong, empowered feminists, uh, which is great for, I guess, what we want to see uh, in terms of kids looking up to role models, but not accurate in terms of um, how women experienced life in the uh, 17 and 1800s. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I think uh, it's it's fun and peppy to have, you know, phrases, you know, like Angelica telling Jefferson that to include women in the sequel of the 
Declaration of Independence. But in in reality, conversations like that never took place. Yeah, like uh, one example that I would consider is Elizabeth Schuyler staying with Hamilton after he uh, cheated on her, as well as after publishing the fact that he cheated on her. Her need to stay didn't come from, like, I plan to forgive him, uh, whether or not she did uh, kind of a little irrelevant to the fact that she was forced to stay in that marriage Mm -hmm. because she didn't have the rights and liberties to be an independent woman, divorce Hamilton, and live her life on her own. Right, so there's a lot more to it than Eliza deciding to forgive him on her own terms because, like what you just said, she really could not make a living and support her family without Hamilton. Yeah, and you, and you might see that as well with uh, Angelica Schuyler feeling the need to marry Rich to maintain her legacy and sort of not getting to do what she wanted to do. Right. And, you know, even the, in the song Helpless, you, you get the impression that Eliza fell in love with Hamilton and married her for the reason of love. But, of course, it's more strategic than that. You know, her father, Philip Schuyler, saw political potential in Hamilton and and recognized that even though he was poor, you know, there was a a lot of potential for him rising up within the military and and then the American government. Right. So I think what we're getting at is, despite the historical inaccuracies, Hamilton is still a phenomenal musical that you should check out, and you should let it get you interested in history. And you should conduct research and try to find these historical inaccuracies, not to uh, nitpick and then produce a podcast about it, but instead to learn more about history and learn the truth. Yeah, I think that Hamilton the Musical opened the door. And I think uh, aside from just wanting to tell a story about Alexander Hamilton because Lin-Manuel Miranda related to him, I think the the secondary goal was, hey, let's get people interested. Mm -hmm. And Hamilton does exactly that. It was revolutionary from a musical standpoint, from the types of songs that he includes in it, but also the story that he tells uh, throughout the the musical. And uh, it really reawoken my interest in early American history since I first listened to the songs uh, a couple years ago. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next time when we talk about Toy Story 4 and Letting Go. If you liked us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men and find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thank you all again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.